are listening to the One Two Three Show with me, Noreen Mayer, this Thursday afternoon. Now let's turn to our first guest and topic of today. We're talking about how and why has the coronavirus created such a divide in our society, from panic buying to who wears a mask. These can often trigger a lot of anxiety and also animosity. Well, to mull over this, we're joined by Dr. Eslin Taragina, a chartered psychologist and psychotherapist with Mind Balance. Welcome back on the program, Eslin. It's great to chat to you again. Thank you. Thanks, Noreen. Great to talk to you too. Now, for our listeners, this topic uh, is inspired by some articles uh, written by Eslin. You can find them on her website, uh, which is mind-balance.org. You can, of course, also visit uh, her Facebook page as well, uh, which is uh, you just search for Mind Balance Hong Kong or the handle is Dr. Taragina and of posted the link on my Facebook page as well. Uh, so, Eslin, uh, let's jump right in. Um, have you noticed a, a divide in our society since the outbreak of the coronavirus? Well, I, I think, um, I, or I guess everyone must have noticed that. I think the tensions can be quite high and tensions are running quite high where, um, you know, people are quick to point fingers or criticise or, you know, a lot of endless discussions on social media about whether or not it's worthwhile wearing a mask or whether people are congregating groups of, of more than four, whether people should be traveling around Hong Kong at the moment. Um, a lot of strong emotions are coming up. A lot of strong opinions are being expressed. Yeah. So how can we avoid um, being part of that and, and sort of maintain a healthy perspective? Because it's easy to sort of play the blame game to, to look at other people and they're, they're not wearing a mask, I'm wearing a mask. Um, and it's easy to sort of feel um, annoyed or even angry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think in order to answer that question, it's probably good to look at, you know, what's the source of this, this divide among us. Um, and psychologically speaking, COVID-19, of course, causes a lot of uncertainty, a lot of anxiety in people and also frustrations because we have to change our lifestyles. It, you know, we might be taking a financial hit um, because we can't operate in the ways that we used to um, function. And one of the ways of sort of regaining control and trying to feel a bit safer is um, to feel part of a group, right? And, and that might be the group. It could be your immediate family. It could be your neighborhood. It could be as far as the group that wears masks uh, or the group that follows certain you know, health instructions. Um, and it's easier to then turn to the other people and kind of go, well, you guys aren't doing that and you're putting me at risk. So in order to feel safe in a group, um, we social psychology shows us that we um, we build closeness with our in-group, we build cohesion with our in-group, in part by highlighting our differences and pointing blaming fingers at the, what we consider the out-group. So maybe the people that, uh, that we don't see as part of our immediate circle. Um, and kind of finding negativities about this outgroup can be a mutual bonding exercise to, you know, help make us feel safer and reaffirm our, our in-group connection, um, but also to alleviate some of that stress and tension to to that outgroup. Yeah, but, you know, um, oh, yeah. sorry, go on. <laughs> uh, no, I was just going to come back to your, your question, you know, how can we avoid doing that? Um well, one of the it's things counterproductive. Is, I mean, by pointing, by blaming them, it's not really helping the situation, but we we still do it. 
Oh, absolutely. And, and, and look, it's nice to kind of have a scapegoat to, because we all have so many emotions coming up now. Frustration is a really big one, you know, for people that are trying to self-isolate or can't go to work, things like that. So it's, it's easy or it, it's alleviating. It feels almost nice and, and relieving to find scapegoats, right? To say, well, that's their fault. And, you know, the people without the masks, for example, or the people who are still walking around thinking nothing's wrong. It's easy to to put our frustrations on on that group um, as one example, but of course, unfortunately, really, what we just do is we then go down the social media rabbit hole and and our frustrations get higher and higher. So it's not actually we think we're alleviating our tension, but actually we're not. It's getting worse. Um, yeah, yes. yeah. So I guess um, I mean, globalization means our in group can't just be our immediate family and neighborhood anymore, right? Because our actions in one country affect the actions in and, and the outcomes in another country. So we need to start making some active effort to kind of override that first um, sort of survival instinct response, um, you know, to stop playing the game, the game, playing game even, <laughs> but also uh, looking for commonalities, right? So checking in with people outside of what our usual in-group would be, seeing how they're affected, you know, making almost a human connection, right? And and really that human connection is something that will get us through COVID-19. Um, the divide, the divisiveness will not, really. Um, so looking for commonalities and people that we don't consider our immediate in-group and really branching out that connectivity to, to find a more compassionate approach um, and more understanding of how we're all in this together. Yeah, it's often hard though because when you are sort of angry at, at people who say, for example, you're in the mask group and you see people who are not wearing masks, um, you see them as sort of uh, putting us all in, in jeopardy. Um, and and it's and so how do you sort of go about building a bridge when you already see them as um, you're either with us or, or against us? Yeah, absolutely. And and that's kind of what, what intensifies this because, of course, if I'm seeing a behavior you're doing as a health risk to me personally, then, of course, I'll be angry, right? Um, and defensive, and I don't want to make that connection possibly, right? Um, but it's similar to, I look at it, at it from a, you know, from an acquaintance or friendship perspective, everyone has certain things that we don't like when, what you know, don't, or certain traits we don't like in other people, certain behaviors that they might um, engage in that, that we don't like that rub us up the wrong way. Um, and if it's some complete stranger doing this, then our anger is much more intensified. Whereas if it's someone we sort of vaguely know or someone that we're actually close friends with, we might be irritated by it, but we won't um, have the same kind of you know, explosive anger about it. And that's really what the human connection is about because even though there are people that might be engaging in behaviors that are really frustrating or that we even see as a threat to ourselves, most people are quite complex, right? So, you know, for, for every kind of negative thing or flaw that, that we have as a human, we've also got a lot of um, good sides to us. Yeah. And I think that sometimes goes uh, goes under in this whole COVID-19 divide because the focus becomes, well, this is what you're doing wrong, rather than, okay, well, let me see you as a whole person, um, which will take some of that irritation and frustration out. Yeah, I, I think a lot of this also stems from fear. And what we've talked about, we've touched upon this last time when we talked about panic buying, you know, the fear of the unknown, that uncertainty. And now maybe the fear of it's just how how does fear sort of affect um, our thoughts and some of our actions? It, it's not rational sometimes. Absolutely. Um, well, I mean, fear ultimately um, creates, especially intensity, creates a disconnect in communication between the emotion centers in our brain 
um, and also our higher cognitive functioning areas, so our higher thoughts, our critical analysis. So, like you say, sometimes it's just not quite rational. That's because um, our fear, fear and our emotion centers are not communicating with our maybe more logical, more rational centers. Um, and that's, you know, that's in some ways that's a, a survival mechanism, right? So, uh, okay, I'll give you a personal example. I've I've been um, cornered by a buffalo before in uh, South Lantau. <laughs> And uh, I'll be honest, I was pretty scared. Um, and immediately, you know, I was trying to calm down. But then at some point, I just sort of that my survival instinct took over and I had a flight response. So I basically legged it out of there. Um, at that point, just afterwards, I was like, oh, I, I feel like there was a time missing where I can't even really remember exactly what happened. And that's a really typical kind of example of how the fear takes over and is no longer communicating with the higher areas. It overrides so, it, um, so it's yeah. <laughs> fight or so, flight. So, you know, we don't... Re- exactly, very much fight or flight. So we don't always react in a rational, measured, calm way. And and that's okay, because that's ultimately what our bodies do. Um, what we can do is not, get it, not let it get that far, because that really only happens when we're really at a 10 out of 10 in anger, anxiety, fear, whatever it is. Um, so it's a very reactive decision, right, uh, based on our survival instinct. But if we can, um, you know, become aware of our conflicting emotions, of our stress, of our anxieties, um, before we hit such a 10 out of 10 situation, then we're able to kind of make the conscious effort to counteract that, um, take into consideration, you know, factors that we're aware of, our past experiences, our values, things like that, to come to more measured response rather than just, you know, a a knee-jerk reaction of either Mm -hmm. anger or fear. I was going to say, this also brings me to the point of this herd mentality. You know, like, for example, when you say, for say for example, I, I've got tissue paper at home. But when I see other people panic buying, there's a part of me that thinks, gosh, is there something that they know that I don't know? Should I be buying more? Um, and most of the time I manage to talk my way out of it. But there have been times when I thought, wait, should I just buy one more? Do, do I need it? And so there's that notion of um, getting affected by other people's fear, even though you don't have the fear itself to begin with. Of course. <laughs> I mean, fear is highly contagious, absolutely. And that's because we're social animals, right? We take a lot of our cues from what the in-group is doing around us, what our pack is doing, essentially. Um, and then, you know, we all run together, so to speak. <laughs> to, the, to the tissue aisle. So how do we not let these sort of fear um, influence these decisions and, and maintain a sort of calm, um, clear head? Well, I mean, getting aware of them earlier is a good start because, like I say, if we've hit the peak of our fear, then, you know, the communication breaks down between our emotions and our thoughts. And so it will be very, very difficult to start regulating anything at that stage. But if we notice, you know, a little bit of tingling in our in our stomach, a little bit of anxiety coming up, then being able to pause and go, okay, where's this coming from? Why am I anxious? You know, rather than just letting it grow bigger, 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 bigger until it explodes and then we react rather than make a decision in how we're going to respond. Yeah. Um, in your article about uh, why COVID-19 creating such a divide among us, you talk about uh, this notion of the intuitive decision. Um, what is it exactly? So the the intuitive, it's, it's not so much an intuitive, it's more like a reactive decision. Mm-hmm. So it's a survival instinct decision. Um, so basically our brains are quite 
quite cool in terms of being able to process a lot of factors that we're aware of, but also a lot of things in our environment that we are actually not aware of. So they're outside of our conscious awareness. Because one of the, the jobs of our brains is to keep us alive. And they do that by constantly monitoring the environment for threats. Um, and so uh, uh, if we feel, you know, if they pick up on something threatening, um, they'll take into consideration all the factors that we're aware of, all our past experiences, and then also all the threats that might be possible. And so we may start getting anxious without really being aware of that. And like I say, if we let that run for too long, then we might have a very reactive kind of survival instinctual decision. Um, and that can be something like, you know, blaming someone else and letting our anger out on someone else or letting our frustration or anxiety turn into frustrations against a certain group or even just against individuals because we, we're somewhat overwhelmed by our feelings and we need to re get some relief from them. And if we're not entirely aware of what the process is and what has actually triggered us, especially if that triggers outside of our conscious awareness, then it's quite easy to just pick on the next possible option and, and kind of go for it, you know, let it all out. Yeah, um, and, and and it's also another level of sort of um, emotional intelligence where you take responsibility or check in with yourself, you know, where did this come from? Um, and perhaps try and mitigate letting these explosive feelings happen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely the, the awareness part there, yeah. And, and analyzing it, you know, making, kind of making the conscious effort to bridge the emotions and the thoughts. Um, and and be more in control in that way. So how do we sort of back up and, and influence these decisions or, or these feelings? Because like you said, maybe some of it comes from unresolved trauma or something that's happened in the past. How do we sort of in the present moment check in with ourselves and um, influence uh, and make better decisions? Well, to be honest, if, it, if some of it does come from, from past traumas, um, it's it's going to be quite overwhelming for us to do that in the moment. That's going to need a little bit of preparation. I was going to say, um, they, should, and in they fact, should come see you then. <laughs> yes, exactly. Come to me. Um, but there's some steps you can also take on your own to kickstart that process. Um, and then at some stage, if you want to dive deeper, yeah, absolutely get professional help um, from, you know, psychologists, psychotherapists, uh, other mental health professionals, but you can kickstart this. And I think COVID-19 has given us a, a fantastic mental health opportunity, actually, mm -hmm. because by kind of going into more of an isolation stage where we're not going to work every day necessarily, and we're not constantly distracted by everything around us, we're sort of forced to sit with our own thoughts um, and forced to sit with whatever challenges we've been avoiding. Um, and that's a really fantastic opportunity. Obviously, we don't need to take the opportunity. But if we do, we can sit down and start reflecting and start looking into understanding ourselves better and really face the challenges that we've been avoiding. So while everyone's sort of talking about, well, how can we even maintain our mental health in this stressful time? I do really see it as an opportunity to kind of get in touch with stuff that we don't usually have time for or we usually choose not to make time for. Yeah, absolutely. Have you noticed more people are sort of looking after their mental health and, and perhaps also coming out and, and addressing these issues? Uh, yes and no. I mean, um, sometimes if there's, for example, some underlying relationship issues, if you're being isolated with someone that you've already have a chat, you know, an issue with, um, it becomes more confrontational. So then, you know, people might fall into their usual defense mechanisms of withdrawing or, um, you know, whatever, whatever, Maybe. avoiding the situation. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so it depends on the circumstance. 
like with most things, it really requires that kind of conscious effort to go, okay, this is what I'm going to do. Um, and yes, people have been doing it because, you know, there's only so many uh, rearranging of furniture and puzzles and painting that you can do before you go, okay, maybe I need to sit down and face what I actually should be dealing with. Absolutely. Well, well said, um, Eslin. And I'm sure, um, I'm sh- actually, that's inspired a lot of uh, future discussions. I'll, I'll come back to you with some of the ones that uh, inspired me um, earlier. And meanwhile, if people want to know more about uh, Eslin and, and her work and also read uh, the articles, you can go to her website, uh, which is mind-balance.org. You can also go to uh, her Facebook page, which is Dr. Teragina, and you'll be able to find Mind Balance Hong Kong's uh, Facebook page. Uh, meanwhile, thank you very much indeed for your time this week. And that's uh, Dr. Eslyn Taragina uh, from Mind Balance, who's a chartered uh, psychotherapist and psychologist. Thank you very much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you for having me, Noreen. It was a pleasure.